This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. We are back for another episode of the Oak Road Hatter podcast. As always, I'm joined by Stephen Day. And Stephen, I think we're getting to a point where we've done as many podcasts as we scored goals this year. I guess so. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even think about how many we've scored now. It's been, it's been a while since we last did one and last played the game. So, yeah. <laughs> it's just been a, it's been a season where we... It's been a good season, but we just haven't scored even as many as last year. I think we were like 12 goals short of last season, but we're not complaining. We finished the top half and I guess that's all that really mattered in the end. Yeah, exactly. I mean, under Graham Jones, we were conceding a lot, but we were scoring a lot. So that's probably why. But yeah, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, as you say, season is done, but we are not. We're going to try and keep bringing you regular episodes. So it's quite hard to continue to do it when there's not much action to talk about. But with what we've seen in the last few days, football moves so quickly. We've seen Collins go to Cardiff City and today, which will be tomorrow by the time this goes out, we will be, well, Matty Pearson has now joined Huddersfield Town. Also, we're looking to try and get some special guests onto the podcast during this summer. We've made contact with a couple of former Luton, well, Luton legends, I think we can call some of them. But today we are going to look back to Nathan Jones, look at his impact he's made at Luton Town and what the future may hold for him. Going on to say about Luton legends, a bit of a touchy topic on Luton Twitter and has talk at the moment. Everyone's debating on whether Colo is a legend or... Or what constitutes a legend? I'm just like I just can't bother for all the negative stuff that's coming around the word legend. Well, we did, didn't we? We, we asked, we asked the question in the end, didn't we? We asked, we we polled it because we sort of had a little discussion about it, but it ended up with 44% of people saying yes, we can call him a legend, but the majority 
of 56% said no. So it's quite, quite a contentious subject. Fair enough, people having different views because what he has done for the club is brilliant. But at the same time, a legend is a very big word. And as people quite rightly say, it gets tossed about quite easily. Yeah, exactly. And I think like when you think of a Luton legend, you think of Mick Harford, obviously, Ricky Hill, Brian Steen, all the old names. And I think I grew up thinking that Steve Howe was a legend because of how much people spoke about him. But I saw someone say earlier on Twitter, like, would you actually consider him a Luton legend? And people were saying, no, not really. He was, it was a brilliant strike for the club. But I think that's the sort of category that Collins is in. I kind of agree with the poll that it's like, I would like to call him a legend, but in, in the end, he's not, it's not like the, he's, he's done, he, he's done a lot of good stuff for us. Like I, I tweeted out the other day saying that like, he has done more in three, like he's done a lot in three years. That is ridiculous. Like the goals that he scored a hat trick on his first game, Patrick on his last game in front of fans, he scored against Watford, like winning goal against Watford, which, you know, no Luton player has done it in so long. He's he scored that that penalty or um yeah, penalty and a goal against Portsmouth in, in League One. Penalty against Sunderland, obviously, like these are the smaller things of it, but like they were important at the time. That's the that's what I'm trying to say. And like I think he's done so much that I'd want I want to call him a legend, but he's you know, he's Penny Ruddock is a modern legend, and I think Collins, like, maybe if he'd stay with us for a few more years in life, if he got us promoted to the Premier League next year, if he was to stay, like, if he stayed, then that's where you could call him a legend. But we'll go on to Nathan Jones because that's that's how we planned it. We didn't plan for James Collins to make his move, and then Matty Pearson. So I think we might have to try and delay that to next week where we discuss who we can bring in sort of the market itself but yeah on to Nathan Jones we'll take it right back to the start Stephen it's a difficult job he came into because he came straight in after John Still who again another contentious one but he was considered a legend by some because of oh he's a legend yeah yeah well I agree with that but again I think that'll be quite a contentious one because we have to consider that, we're, we're 22 years old, so we've only seen a short selection of it all. And obviously we do have knowledge of your Mick Harfords, your Ricky Hills and everyone like that. But what we've only got what we see, if that makes sense. Exactly. But the way I see it is it's harder to be a player legend than it is to be a manager legend. Because if you think about all the managers we've had, I mean, I can't name a lot of them, in all honesty, like before 2010 or 2008, really. Actually, no, I'll say 2006. I'll go with 2006. Um, yeah, like there's a lot of managers that we've had, but in since, since you know, the 90s, who can you really say has been a, a, a legend as a manager, really? Like John Still rebuilt, helped rebuild the club to and build the foundations for, for what we've got now. So I think, and he, he, like, he reunited all of the club as well and the fans and, or he helped at least. Like, it was, you know, a brilliant face for it. And yeah, so I think he is definitely a legend for that. But then other managers, like, I wouldn't call Mike Newell a, a legend. I wouldn't call 
<laughs> I was going to say uh, someone else there, but no, I wouldn't say that. Obviously, but yeah, I can't think of anyone else that could be arguably a legend for, as a manager than John Steele in like the last 20 years. And I think um, you say Mike Nulia there, and I don't have the uh, the best of times meeting him because we played against Hitchin in a friendly when he was manager back in, must have been 2006, 2007 time. And sort of I, walk, I walked over to him trying to get a photo and didn't realise he was on the phone. He sort of ushered me away with his hands and I thought, who are you to do that? What a knob. Maybe he was on the phone doing <laughs> some dodgy deals with agents. Well, yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't want to talk about that. We'll get in. We'll get into more about Nathan <laughs> Jones and how we've progressed because that's uh, that's better to talk to. That puts a smile on, on all of our faces, really. But Nathan Jones comes in straight after John Still. Still, pretty much laid down the foundations for Jones to pick up and just implement a new style of football really and that's what we needed at the time we weren't really advancing with John Still at the time he'd done brilliant to get us there and we sort of needed that push so we eventually clicked into gear after a little bit of time adjusting to Jones's sort of diamond diamond that became so prominent in those went in that league two season and then obviously the league one season but we had a clear identity, didn't we? We we knew how we wanted to play and we didn't really change it for anybody that we were coming up against. Yeah, exactly. I think that's one of the things that helped Jones become, you know, obviously well-respected in the club in the first few years because we had, he built an identity for us, for the team. He got a lot of respect from pundits and people in football, in English football. And it was the signings as well like he knew he pretty much knew how to build a team for promotion and we sort of built ahead as well we didn't just build to win promotion to league one we built to stay in league one as well and i think it was just unlucky it was unlucky that we didn't go up in that year that we lost in the playoffs but at the same time it sort of helped us in the in the push to get up to the championship is because we built to we have another year in league one to attract better players for league one or yeah I had another year in league two to attract better players for league one so yeah he did bloody good work there some proper British there but bloody good work <laughs> yeah he did he did brilliant and yeah we obviously secured promotion in his second full season and forget forever remember that Notts County game just thinking about it now, still one of the best memories ever in being at a Luton Town match. But then we moved to League One and after three games, we hadn't won a game. And even before we started to think that this is about survival, we can try and push as high as we want, but ultimately we wanted to survive and then build up again. But we did something better than that completely. We looked brilliant under Nathan Jones again in League One. And he got us into a brilliant second position before Stoke came calling. And obviously that was a big turning point for some people. Some people still find it hard to forgive him for that. I, I think, well, I, I don't know your view, but I'm, I forgave him as soon as he kept us up that year in the championship. Oh yeah, I, I forgave him after that, but I still find it hard to think about because it, it was such a horrible thing 
to, to have done. In, in, in like the fans' view and the club's view, it was just horrible, really, to leave us where we were for, for something that obviously didn't end up as good as what he thought or anyone thought it was going to. And, yeah, I, I, I respect people that still don't respect him for it. I'm, I respect their points of views and their opinions on that because I don't blame them for finding it hard to forgive him or trust him, really. But I think what he's done now is he's repaid that, really. In my, in my opinion, he has. But I'm not going to hate on anyone that hates on Nathan Jones still. Because it was more shock than anything, wasn't it? It was more that we, there were the rumours, but we didn't really see it coming because of where we were in the league, what we were fighting for and how brilliant of a job he was doing. But when we sort of laid it out and we saw that it was Stoke that were offering him a job, a recent Premier League club with a lot of money, who probably offered him a brilliant contract, uh, opportunity to start his own project, the recognition that would follow in, because I, I still think that the Welsh job would interest him in the future. So he's probably getting a little bit ahead of himself in that kind of respect, but a brilliant opportunity for a manager who was overachieving with a, with our Luton, maybe not with the squad, but overachieving in the fact that he'd taken a League Two side to second in League One in the space of less than a year. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say it's overachieving, but as you said, like when we laid it all out, like it wasn't a, a thing we can blame him for, really. But it's just upsetting to think that, like, he was. You know, I remember listening to a podcast of him saying the only team. I mean, it's like October twenty eighteen, saying that the only team that would prime away from Luton is Barcelona. It, as we said, like we, we can't really blame him for it, but. Still, it, it it was shocking. It was just, as I said, a little bit horrible. But we did go on. We won promotion. And obviously, Mick Harford was instrumental to that. But at the same time, he didn't really change much in terms of what we were doing. He didn't really need to do, uh, change much. Obviously, he's still done a lot in terms of game management. At the, but sort of Jones's tactics were still instilled into the players but yeah we did win promotion and all eyes were then on that Stoke game I think it was December and he was unfortunately sacked in November I think it was so yeah we never really heard anything from him since then uh, from that point sorry and it was a game that we were all looking forward to yeah, and I think had had the Stoke game have gone, like had he been in charge for Stoke still, whatever would have happened afterwards, whether they would have sacked him after if we beat them or anything. And if if they would have beaten us as well and he stayed and then got sacked at another date, I think that would have definitely like changed the course of history because I don't think he would have only there would have been an opportunity for him to come back. So I think him him being sacked from Stoke was almost perfect timing for the future really the sort of not laid foundations for it to happen but sort of helped it in the future that like we didn't have that chance to meet him on the pitch and sing a certain song which is for Tony Thorpe really or um boo him or anything 
so yeah I think I mean that that, that helped with him coming back and yeah yeah and as we go into the lockdown period which was a weird time for us all but especially weird if you're a Luton fan Graham Jones leaves the leaves the club I think it was a mutual decision probably over his wage which was the the talk at the time that he was on quite quite a lot of money compared to what we could do in the lockdown time which is fair enough by all accounts and then Nathan Jones about two months later accepts the role again which was a crazy time there were rumors about it but no one really thought it was true and the weirdest thing about it was is that I I fell off my bike one time just before uh, just after and I was concussed and everything and this was a few days after uh, Jones had been reappointed and I just didn't remember it at all so every like five minutes I'd forget that it happened and I'd have to be told again and my reaction every time was just something different like no way like it was a genuine reaction but I just did not have a clue my my family must have told me about 20 different times in the space of an hour that Nathan Jones is the new Luton manager. It was three days before it actually happened. Three days, sorry, after it actually happened. And it was just that is, weird, very, very weird time. That is mental to me. Eh? I, I didn't know that. And that is absolutely <laughs> mental. That's, that's funny as well. It's, I can't imagine, I can't imagine being in your position thinking like, well, I mean, obviously in the space of an hour, being told that so many times, like, I mean, to be fair, I had to read it over, I think all of us did, we had to read it over and over again to actually believe it was true. It was such a weird time. It, I just remember thinking that, well, I, I couldn't even think because I just didn't know what was going on. And they were just reiterating the same information to me, but every time it was like something new. And my reaction was pure. I was just looking at them like, like, what are you telling me? And then five minutes later, it's out of my mind. They're telling me again. And the same reaction comes out. So it was just, <laughs> wear, a, wear a helmet, kids, if you're going on a bike, because um, yeah, you might end up like me. And then I think when he went to Stoke, it, I think we are quick to point out how much of a disaster it was. But coming back to Luton when he did and surviving the way we did, picking up 16 points from nine games. And in terms of the football we were playing, we are playing really good football again. And I think it was just a demonstration that the project he's built at Luton and the relationships he's built at Luton were far superior than anything he built at Stoke. Exactly. And he wasn't really given the chance to build something at Stoke, but... It, it does show that like what he built was a, a long-term thing at Luton and it's I think it's the sort of it's testament to like, him as a person like obviously he he did leave and he did do it in that fashion but at the same time he built something good and he could come back and regain that as well without much issue like his first press conference back he was talking about you know I'm not going to do the things that I did last time I'm not gonna say the things I said I'm just gonna come here and do do what I like finished you know not finish what I started but like do what I started carry carry the momentum on and hopefully keep the club up and that's what he did and like that's where you can sort of like rebuild trust where he's like you know I'm not gonna kiss the badge I'm not gonna pump my fist and pump my chest and all that I'm just gonna 
say, look, I believe I can keep us up. We've got the we've got the squad to do it. I believe I you know I believe I can do it, and we're going to try. And that's what he did, and he he did it well. And I think that shows a good manager as well that like he can come in and do that sort of thing as well. Like he he sort of laid it back to the basics of like just playing playing football, not trying to play it around the back every single time and doing it even when it doesn't work, like how it was with Graham Jones. It was we got the basics back really with him. It was a completely different task that he stepped into because with Luton, he's always progressed. He's taken us into the playoffs and the season after it was taking us up. Then the following season, it was getting us into the second position. So coming into a relegation dogfight in the championship was a very, very difficult thing for him to do. And considering he failed with, you have to admit, a better squad at Stoke, it was a little bit worrying, but at the same time, I think we all thought he might have lost his magic there a little bit. So it was it was daunting for, you know, oh, he's he's had a bad time at Stoke. Can he regain it? But obviously he did. I think one, one of the main things that sticks out to me as well is that it was it was Mick Harford that phoned him up. That's the thing for me that like shows that it was the right thing. Obviously, we have proof now, we have concrete proof it was the right thing, but it was like when it when when it was said that it was Mick Harford that did it, it was him that got the ball rolling. It's like if Mick Harford, who is pretty much not put a foot wrong with this football club, says something like that or does something like that, you've got to trust that it's the right thing. Bet it was bricking it when he saw uh, Mick Harford was calling him. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, there's a lot of. I mean, even in commentary, like in random football games, like even the Premier League, you get people that are seeing think that say that like. Oh, like there's a story about uh, this player, you know, doing this near Mick Harford or doing it, it when Mick Harford was at the club, and like they're saying, "Oh yeah, I would not have done that with him around." <laughs> so yeah, I guess he he could have been breaking it, but at the same time, I think they they probably wouldn't have had a bad relationship afterwards. So, and then it was, as I said before, sixteen points from nine games to keep us up, and because of how short that summer was and how quickly we're back into the season we kept that momentum going we won three of our first four games of this season and we really leapt to new heights this season top half finish solidified that defense which was a big concern going into this season excellent signings and to think that going back to that defense it was Pearson and Bradley again for probably the majority of this season and they've formed again a brilliant partnership yeah exactly i think graham jones just didn't know how to get the best out of them and and nathan jones does and it is it is funny to think that like it was one of the we were starting off as one of the worst teams like defending teams in like the championship like one of the worst defenses in the championship almost ever recorded with Graham Jones in charge, with the same defence as what we've got now. And we've gone from, you know, Nathan turned it around, kept us up, and then, like, with those same players, with a few additions as well, has taken us to a top-half finish. And it's like, I, I think we all thought that it was dead wood and the players were not good enough, but really, it was a manager. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's, well, given what's happened already with Collins going with Pearson going, with Bradley potentially rumoured to be the next one to go. 
there is a lot to do this summer in terms of signings, in terms of recruitment in general. I don't think he'll be allowed on that first plane to uh, Portugal, I don't think. But there's plenty of promising signs. I think that this now gives us an opportunity to recruit well, really. He'd done it last yeah, year. And why couldn't we do it again this year? I think we're... Um... We're entering a sort of new era for the team now. We're we've lost obviously this season. We've lost a few players. We've lost Shinny. I reckon it's likely we're going to lose Lee. We're going to lose obviously we lost Colo, Bradley, probably uh, Pearson. Maybe Bradley's going. You've got a lot of players that are out of contract still, or they might be leaving like Moncur and all that. Like so, that's a lot of players that are going to could be leaving, and we're. It's so exciting. Like, there's some people that I've seen online that are talking about like it's worrying how you know we might not have things lined up and all that. We're not you know we're letting all these players go and we're going to be in a relegation fight. I'm like, where are you getting this from? It's May. The season starts in August. Like we've got we've still got three months to recruit players for. So I think we're I think we're entering a really really exciting period for the club and the team. Because Adebayo, Naismith, um, Clark, all these players we've brought in, and we're going to bring bring in more players this summer. Like I think it's just it's so exciting, and I hope Morel turns up this season and is like a brand new signing this season. You've got to think in terms of spending power. This is probably the season where we're not as far away as the rest of the Championship clubs as we have been. Because the um, continued problems in terms of the sort of the biggest clubs making such losses, you think of Reading and you think of other clubs. We've made a profit. Not it's not yeah. so much that we're that much richer. It's the case of the pandemic, pretty much. Yeah, I do. Juicing. I do get that, but at the same time, I still don't think we can we can attract your, you know. At Reading, you've got um, was it Ajaria and Elise? We couldn't attract those sort of players. Oh no, no, definitely not. It's it's more that if we're looking at sort, of, it, I think it's more down to wages. I think in terms of wages, oh yeah, we sort of teams around a, us. Can, they don't really into like a Preston and that's getting up to that sort of level now. Like you know where we can compete with Preston and the likes of Huddersfield. Obviously they're probably on their last year of parachute payments but if they're signing Matty Pearson from us that means that we're probably on a similar level to them rather than you know we're way below them yeah yeah definitely and I think we're we're both in a position where we fully trust whatever our management team and what 2020 decide to bring in this year I think they've earned that trust definitely and yeah we we can finally not finally because we have been in so long but we are in a position where we trust everything that's going on with our club yeah and it's something that i just can't get my head around sometimes that we've got all this horrible negativity in football the relationship with the owners like it's weird that it's in the last year that it's become like a massive thing like obviously you've got like the you know, the Glazers Man United, which have always been protested, but then there was a point where they were obviously under Ferguson, they were still winning trophies, so no one was complaining that much, there was still protest, but like, 
other clubs as well, it's been kind of like brushed under the rug where in, you know, in like before, before 2020, I mean the year, not, not our own, <laughs> but like, yeah, before coronavirus hit and all that, it wasn't so much and before the Super League as well, it wasn't so much of a thing that people higher up in English football were really taking notice of. No Sky Sports pundits would take notice of it. No one was thinking it's horrible what's happening to Macclesfield or Berry or or Portsmouth even 10 years ago or us, anyone like so I think it's it's kind of it's, it's just if anyone's not grateful for our owners right now then the, they've got to give their head a row because I can't, as I said, I can't fathom sometimes how lucky we are us, Leicester I can't think of many other clubs that are run so well like, there's nothing to complain about really No, like, it people, it's like people complaining about, you know, Pearson going and Collins going, like if that's the level we're at then that's a good level because I love Collins obviously upset that he's going but at the same time like I trust the management team I trust the owners, I trust Mick Harford, I trust everyone that they know what is right. And if they were desperate to keep Collins, I think we could have probably offered him more money. But, and maybe said to Jones, offer him starting position every week. But, you know, I trust them. We all trust them. And we are so lucky to have what we have now. Yeah. Yeah. Because now is the time where. We're going to start thinking about recruiting another forward. And I know we've both been trying to watch the uh, playoffs, trying to seek talent from there. But at the same time, I think we need to move back on to Nathan Jones. Because I think that's about the Apologies. third time. Third, third time we've done it now. I think we're both both as guilty as each other. Rec- recruitment goes into Nathan Jones as well. like Because he, he is... I think I was I missed the point of saying that he's so well respected in football. Like obviously he did what he did with Stoke, but he's I think he's respected that if you send a lone player to him, like Keenan Drewsbury Hall, the kid's gonna get loan like he's gonna get time like on the pitch. And I think players would find that exciting. I like, I'd be obviously maybe in the big you know, the the teams that usually finish in the top 10 of the Premier League, obviously Leicester are sort of in that now, but I wouldn't I wouldn't blame some of the kids in those big six academies or big 10 academies to not have really heard of Nathan Jones, but anyone else that's, you know, looking for loans in the championship or looking to play in the championship, if any players thought they didn't want to come to Luton and play under Nathan Jones, then I'd, I'd be a bit surprised because... I don't think it goes unnoticed what he's done. Obviously, we're not a Premier League club, so we don't get the media coverage that other clubs do. But I think looking at Keane and Jewsbury Hall this season, it'd be hard for a player to not think that Luton is a good place to come. Definitely, definitely. And going on to Jones's future, exactly how far can you see him go? Do you see him being with us until we reach... The Premier League as it's destined to happen or could you see a return to Brighton obviously where he spent quite a lot of his early days as a coach or even the Wales job in the future where can you see his future going I know it's difficult to to guess but at the same time can he make it all the way 
I think I think he should be the next England manager. I'm not gonna lie. Better than Southgate. I I I mean, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't have Southgate alone. I'll put it that <laughs> way. But I mean, I do respect him as England manager. But yeah, I think Jones is. I think it's a weird one. I think that that Stoke blip will always be on his CV. That'll always be a thing for if bigger clubs now were to look at him before the Stoke thing. He was constantly rumoured with people. He was con- I think he was rumoured with West Brom at one point. Obviously, he was Stoke with, with other clubs as well. And at the, at the time, you could see why. But now, I am I think, like, it'd be hard to link him with anyone else. Like, it'd be hard for, him, for anyone to look at him and be like, oh, yeah, we need him. Because it'd be hard to pry him away from us. And obviously, as you said, it would have to be like a you know a Wales job or a maybe a Brighton, but I think that's only likely to happen once Jones feels like his job's finished. I, that's the way I see his future going with us. I think once he thinks he's taken us to the point where he can, where he's reached his level, that's when he'll say, you know what, I believe that the club can go further without me, so it might be time for me to step away. And I think he's an honest man as well. Obviously, questionable in some ways, but that's the way I see it. I think it is. It's on him. It'll be on him and the club to reach a mutual decision that we could be better off without him. That's what take that was. That's what it would take it for him to go. And I think that's not a thing that can happen or will happen in the next five to six years. Really, I think we've still got a a long time with him, and that's when. You know, say we've hit promotion to the Premier League and then relegated again and not pushing for promotion again, that would be where, you know, you might move on to, you know, your Brightons, your West Broms, all that. Or 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 drop down into League One where, you know, in five, six years, you might see Fulham down there or something. Something that he can sort of Rebuild. Rebuild, yeah, yeah. And do you think that Premier League clubs at this moment in time will be considering him as a potential replacement for whoever they've got in? Do you think that he would even be taken into consideration at all? Well, I think that's what I was saying a minute ago. I don't I think because of that Stoke blip that there's got to be a certain environment for him. And I think anyone that is a, you know, is a big, big club would probably push him off as you know absolutely not looking at him but you you might get your you know maybe wolves maybe wolves at some point if if uh santo doesn't work out in the future and sort of clubs that are a similar size to that that are not the biggest but also not the smallest either like if if they were those sorts of premier league clubs that i could see looking at him but like other than that like I don't think many people were really looking at Eddie Howe for a while until like he kept Bournemouth up in the championship for a while. Because obviously like he left, came back, took them to the Premier League. And like I, I don't remember him being rumoured with a lot of people apart from maybe Arsenal, but that's more in recent years than anything. I think it's just one of those things where it would be hard to put him into a bigger club. Because I think his level is a sort of a lower club in whatever division to rebuild something yeah not not your big fish i don't think big fish in the championship is what he's suited for no maybe no one the last question i'll hit you up with Stephen, because 
it's one that we could actually put into a poll. It's quite a one that could quite easily swing both ways. But will Nathan Jones be at the helm when we play our first game at Power Court? This is one of those ones where it's like you can look at it from so many different ways. Definitely. Uh, if 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 someone said you have you have two seconds to answer, I'd say yes. If I unpacked it and thought about all the things that can happen between now and then, I'd be like, there's probably like a 6% chance he'll be at the helm. But at the same time, that contradicts everything that I've just said, where, you know, it'd take a lot to pry him away from us. So I, I say yes. I think, yeah, I think we definitely should put that into a poll because I think it will... Think it'll be contrasting views throughout, but I will go for yes as well. I think I just think he's the right man for the club. Always have, always will. That's what that's what you know. The board has said as well. That's what basically McArthur has said by you know getting him back into the club that he is the right man, and you can't you can't discount that really. Well, yeah, that's everything we've got for you today. Thank you very much for listening. Make sure to check out our website, which is www.oakroadhatter.com. And also a big thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech for the music. And we will try and bring you as much content over the off-season as we can, starting with next week, where we try and discuss this crazy transfer saga. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.